Let's get rolling. 2 Timothy chapter 3. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This has been the cornerstone verse of this series. And we have begun to just dig into is, what does it mean to be equipped? And how does one become equipped? And why is it necessary that we are equipped? And what are we equipped for? These are all the questions that we have to begin to ask and begin to unpack. The bottom line is this, we know that it is only through the Word that we are complete and thoroughly equipped for the good works that God has called us to do. Now, when we look at that term good works, we instantly go to the good deeds that one does. But that is not necessarily what it's talking about, because you don't need the Bible to tell you to walk the little old lady across the street who needs your help, to help them carry the groceries in. If you're leaving Walmart and you see somebody picking up something heavy, attempting to put it in their vehicle, that you help. You don't need a Bible to tell you that. So what are the good works that, that um, Jesus is referencing, or I shouldn't say Jesus, but Paul is referencing here? We're going to look into that a little bit today. The other part of this is, is that where do we get our basis of truth? And it always comes from Scripture. We can never get away from this. And I'm going to hammer on this and hammer on this and hammer on this. Because today a lot of churches have gotten away from this, the foundation that this is. And we've done a lot of things. Do you realize how many church models are out there right now? Like when you think about this, the model for the church, so you talk about business models as an example. What is your business model? What are you doing? What are you trying? How are you going to grow? How are you going to market? The church has taken that philosophy and run with it. They're like, well, how, what are we going to do to attract people? I don't catch that in Scripture. Like, what are we going to do to reach families? That's a good thought. But what is the we aspect, we as a church, going to do to reach family? What happened to we as the church, individually, doing to reach family? Do you realize that if we're doing the works that Jesus told us to do, by default, the church in and of itself, structure, will grow? It will. So we've shifted the focus away from the things that God has said, and we put it on things that really just make us feel good. Like, I I do a lot of work with a lot of churches, and they'll put on these big events, and they'll invite the whole community out. These are not bad things. But please don't mistake that for evangelism, because that's not what it is. Like, you might entertain a bunch of people. You may get a lot of people to come out to do different things, depending on what you do. I used to put on huge events, like concerts, and, and we'd bring in illusionists, and all these big things, and a lot of them were good. But we convinced ourselves that we were doing the Lord's work in this. Yes, it is true that there were unbelievers that may come and they might hear the gospel for the first time. But yet, that in and of itself is not evangelistic in nature. You see, we've gotten away from what Scripture has said and we've gone to stuff that just seems to look right. And what happens is when you begin to go against that, go against the modern current, you catch flack. People don't sense that things are happening. And the truth is, is the only responsibility that we have as born-again believers when it comes to the things of God is to be diligent and to be a good steward. The results are not our problem. The activity is our problem, but the results are not. So why am I telling you all of this? We have to get back to the basics. We have to look and say, okay, Jesus, what did you say? Not what do I think you said or what do I think you meant. It's what did you say? Why did you say it and what are we doing? We need to become equipped. It's ugly out there. It's really ugly out there. You know where else it's ugly? In here. And I don't mean this room, but I mean the church. It's ugly in there too. Because you got one side of the aisle 
who is very what we would call legalistic, ritualistic, stand up, sit down, repeat after me, here is your sacraments, here are the things you, you take care of, you do that. Then you got the other side of the aisle, which is just a complete free-for-all, and you might mix a little Jesus talk into it. We kind of want to be somewhere in the middle, because the concept of sacraments really isn't a biblical one, but this free-for-all, do whatever feels good, if, if, if God is what you make Him to be, Jesus becomes who you need Him to be in the moment. No, He doesn't. It's a bunch of nonsense out there. But yet it sounds good. So therefore we run with it. Do you realize that if tomorrow we began to entertain the goats and we filled this room up, many of us are like, man, look what we're doing. We're accomplishing something. No, we're not. You ever entertain goats? It's awful. They smell bad. They poop everywhere. It's terrible. You see, we got to get back to the basics of just doing the Lord's work and being faithful in that. It really is that simple. But we complicate it. How has He equipped us? What has He given us? Number one, He's given us the Word. Number two is what we've been talking about for the last several weeks. Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. So therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. I'm telling you today, this is the last week we're reading this because now we're moving on. But this is so important to understand. What is Paul trying to convey? Guess what? Number one, be strong in the Lord. Number two, your battle is not with your neighbor. Your political foe, somebody who sits in a different opinion than you do, but is the power behind these really bad ideas. Ideas have consequences. Now, I'm not just saying because it's not your idea, it's a bad idea, okay? Just understand that. But he said, I've given you all of these things for a defensive position and an offensive position. All of these things. You need this. He says to put it on. That also implies that you weren't born with it that you have a responsibility in it, that you can walk around without it. So let's show this one last time. Let's show this picture. We have got the entirety of the armor of God. Now, this is a horrible artist rendition, but frankly, there aren't a lot of good ones out there. So you've got the helmet, the breastplate, the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit, the, the gospel of peace with the, the shoes there, uh, the, the shield of faith that is to be above all. And then we talk about the lances that they would carry. That's not even depicted. They're often overlooked. And there is something about this that's very unique that we often miss and we just kind of overthink. But all of these things individually are important. And every one of them are made in the image of the one that they are made for, created specifically for that person. There is no mass production. China was not making these by little kids so that LeBron James could sponsor them. None of that was going on. This was individually crafted. It started with the belt. Everything locked into that. It was extremely ornate and shiny. It was made to catch your attention. The shield had a purpose. We talked about all of this stuff. But there's one overarching fact that we often miss and that we often overlook. But it is so crucial. Is this a unit? It was never intended to be one-offs. Just put on them shoes. You don't need nothing else. 
right? I've been told, I haven't, I haven't confirmed this, but like football players today, if they leave a portion of their pads off, they're not allowed to play. Like if a ref sees it, he will throw them out. And it may seem minuscule, but it's important for their safety. That's why they do it. You see, this here was intended to be a unit. That is what I wanted you to take away from this. While each individual component is incredibly important, it by itself does not function without the entirety. So if you run around and you're wielding a sword, okay, it can do you some good unless the other person has an arrow. Now, if you cut that arrow while it's coming at you in the air, good for you. That's impressive, all right? But you might get one. You aren't getting an army of them. You see, they all had a purpose, but it was all meant to be together. So we are shifting our focus now towards the gifts of the Spirit to understand these, what they are, what they are not. Now, we talked about this whole praying at all times in the Spirit and how that is a reference to praying in tongues. And then last week, we really dug into what that is and what it's not. And we will talk about this more so. But the bottom line is this. You've got the ideas that are out there. Number one, tongues don't exist. It's done. It was something that was used back then, as well as the rest of the gifts of the Spirit. We will talk about that more. The second part is, okay, if a person speaks in tongues, it is a language that you don't know. It's used in evangelism. The idea that you would use it in any other way is ludicrous. And as we saw in Scripture and what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, that just doesn't make sense. So something must be off. It's kind of like the different terms we use for baptism, right? There is more than one baptism. That word does not mean what you think it means. Anybody else mind go to Princess Bride when you hear that? Am I alone? Anybody not know what Princess Bride is? Anybody? Oh, Paul. <sighs> Good thing you're a Nebraska fan. That's all I can say. Yeah, I, there's a, we found out today there's a slug of movies that Paul needs to spend time watching. and I know you have a very busy schedule, but... You know, fit one in between a nap, will you? Okay. So, but the bottom line is this, is that we've got all these bad ideas. And so, tongues has been used and abused or ignored. And most of the time that people are against anything dealing with the gifts of the Spirit, it is a result of a bad experience they had. All right. Now, for those of us that grew up in this style of church, charismatic, if you will, show of hands, have you ever had a bad experience in one of those services? I'll put my hand up first. There's weirdos out there. They're weird. But you know what else? There are weirdos everywhere. I went to L.A. for a conference a few years ago. I've been to L.A. twice. That's two times too many. If you've ever thought about going to Los Angeles, I strongly encourage you to get your head checked out because there's no reason to go. It's not that great. It was not a pleasant experience. I'll tell you, I, I graduated from school with a guy. He, and I went to Oklahoma, but he was from L.A. Found out I was going out there. I said, I called him up. Hadn't seen him in several years. I said, hey, I'm going to be in Los Angeles. I'd love to meet up. He's like, great. Where are you staying? I said, I don't have any idea. They're bringing me in. I don't know where I'm going. I can let you know when we get there. He said, perfect. So we get there. They bus us from the uh, airport to the hotel. And then they were busing us to the conference center where we were going every day. It was a five-day deal. And so I called him up and said, I'm staying here. He's like, man, you are only like four miles from my house. I said, well, this worked out really well. I want you to show me the sites. So I get done with the thing. It's about 5 o'clock. I call him up. 
I said, I'm back at the hotel. He said, perfect, I'm leaving right now. Four miles. An hour and 45 minutes later, he's still not here. Now, we all have that friend who says, I'll be there in 20. You know that's a lie, right? But that's not this guy. He's very punctual. I call him again, all right? I said, hey, are you coming? He's like, yeah. I said, you said an hour and 45 minutes ago you were leaving. He's like, I did leave. I said, well, where are you? He's like, well, I'm sitting in traffic. I said, is it that bad? He's like, no, it's not that bad. <laughs> Four miles, y'all. So if you needed any other reason to live in Rockport, Missouri, there you go. That's not the moral of the story. So he takes me sightseeing to see all the stuff, right? So like the Hollywood Walk of Fame, you know, the stars and all of that, it's like two blocks. That's it. It looks a lot bigger on TV. You get off those two blocks, and it's like I'm in a third world country now. It was horrible. But in front of that man's Chinese theater, I don't know if I said that right, okay, I'm not into this stuff. We get there. I was like, oh, I've seen that before. That's where they do the red carpet thing and all of that. There's a bunch of people dressed like superheroes. So I thought maybe there was a movie going on. Oh, no, that's what they do every day. They show up there. They dress like Spider-Man, Superman, whatever, and attempt to get you to take pictures with them and pay you money. Like, listen, capitalism, baby, I'm all for it. But, yeah, right. But there was a guy there, and he was wearing a trench coat. And he had a metal apparatus stuck up to the side with a camera on it pointed at him. And he would basically, he would walk this way. He would just look forward. He had sunglasses on. It was night. And then he would turn around, and he'd walk back. I watched him for half an hour. That's all he did. He didn't talk to anybody. He didn't interact with anybody. Why am I telling you this? There's freaks everywhere. Everywhere you go, you will meet them. Some of the worst of them cheer for Oklahoma football. <laughs> this is why there is one microphone in this room at a time, right? No, but seriously, you see, because they've had a bad experience, they have now just completely thrown out any idea of, the, oh, this can't be true because of this, because of that. They come up with things, and these are terms that you will hear. Oh, they've got the kundalini spirit. That's become the buzzword in the last 10 years. Yeah, you may not know what that is, but it's a Buddhist thing. I'll explain it when we get to it. But the bottom line is this. Man, I don't care what's happened. I care what Scripture says. So there was a pastor in Kearney, Nebraska. I was on staff at a church in Hastings, and I was meeting with this guy, and he had completely gone the other way when it came to the gifts of spirit. He said, they do not exist. It is all a show. It's fake. And I, and I finally asked, I said, what makes you say Because he was just adamant. He said, I grew up in a charismatic church, and we had this evangelist come in all the time, and this guy was incredible. Because he would get up there, and he would say, Kyle, you live at yada, 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 run mill off their address. Get their attention, right? Well, they had a special room for a guest speaker. It was part of the pastor's office, had a private bathroom, all this kind of stuff. And he had volunteered to kind of help the guy and get his what he needed and stuff. And he was also going to clean up the facility when he was done. And as he was there emptying the trash can out, he found a note with a list of people's names and addresses. So from that moment on, that told him that they were all fake. Was it scripture that was his guide? No. It was his experience. That's the problem. There are fakes out there. They fake things all the time. But that doesn't negate the real. In fact, the counterfeit does the opposite. Because you don't counterfeit something that doesn't exist. Have you ever seen a counterfeit $3 bill? No, you have not. 
because it's straight to jail, baby. They don't have to put the little marker on it to see if it's real, right? You guys are looking at me like I'm crazy. You, you get it. Like, you don't counterfeit something that doesn't exist or is fake. You only counterfeit the real. The counterfeit in and of itself proves the existence of something. Maybe not the practice, but at least that it exists or it wouldn't be there. The idea of false signs and wonders implies that there are real signs and wonders and it's our responsibility to discern between the two. So we see this all the time. The idea there's a thing called Fatima where they saw something in the sky and it was the Mother Mary and all this other stuff. Have you noticed that? It's been a while since we've seen somebody make a grilled cheese sandwich that had Mary's image in it. But what happens? They flock to this stuff, right? They're drawn to signs and wonders. So false signs and wonders implies that there are real signs and wonders. I know it's a little like philosophical, but think about it. It's kind of like the idea if somebody ever tells you like, listen, I do not go to church and the reason I don't go to church is because it's full of hypocrites. And my response is always like, listen, we, we always got room for one more. You just come on and join us. <laughs> But the thing is, is there are hypocrites everywhere. You go to the doctor, they, listen, if your definition of hypocrite is just simply saying one thing and doing another, congratulations, we all made it. Right? So we have to or get through all the nonsense to understand what these are. Because they were so important that Jesus said, I want you to wait until you're endued with power from on high. These are the outlier of that. These are part of that. It was that important to Jesus. It should be that important to us. So now let's look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to introduce the concepts today of what these are. We're going to go in depth into these, but I'm going to introduce these ideas today. So he says, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, he says, now concerning. That means he is transitioning his thought process from where he was. He's writing to the church in Corinth. It was a screwed up church. You can go and dig that out yourself. So he doesn't want them to be ignorant about these spiritual gifts. Does that mean that spiritual gifts exist? It must. He wants him to understand it. You know that you were Gentiles, which is people not in covenant with God, carried away by these dumb idols. We read this last week. That doesn't mean that if they were stupid, they could not speak. However, you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, and no one can say that Jesus is the Lord except by the Holy Spirit. These are the diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, another word of knowledge through the same Spirit, another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. This is the nine gifts of the Spirit. You've heard that term before. Let's look at these. Here we go. You've got the first three. All right, we call these the revelation gifts. If you look these up, they might have different names that associate with them, and sometimes they'll, they'll group them a little different, but this is the overwhelming, vast way that it is done. So the revelatory gifts, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits. We'll get into what those mean, just, just know that they exist for right now. Then you got the next group, the power gifts, the gift of faith, the gift of miracle, and the gift of healings. Now, I don't think I have to explain what those probably mean, but... We will, eventually. And then the last part 
is what we call the vocal gifts or the inspiration gifts. The gift of tongues, the interpretation of tongues, and of course, prophecy. So when you combine these things together, what do we have? All nine. All right? So this is where that idea comes from, about the nine gifts of the Spirit. Now, to break these down, we have to dig into what each one is and what each one is not. There's a lot of misnomers out there. We assume that the gift of tongues is the same thing as praying in tongues, which it is not. The interpretation of tongues is pretty self-explanatory, but yet we have to understand that interpretation and translation is not the same thing. We have to understand faith and miracles and healings and all of this stuff. Who gives the ability to do this? The Holy Spirit. It's as the Spirit will. So we have to be again to break these down. But these are combined. So can a person have one of these gifts and operate in them frequently? Sure. Can they operate in more than one frequently? Absolutely. Could they operate in all nine? Sure, why not? There's nothing that forbids it. Now, if you put that on your business card, we got a problem. And there are guys that did that. There was a, a, an old minister, I don't even know if he's still around him, an Ernest Angley, and his whole thing is like, who operates in all nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. They say it before his TV show started every day. Here's the thing. If you operate in all nine gifts of the Holy Spirit, you don't normally have to announce it before you get started. When somebody hands me a card and it says profit on it, I throw the card in the trash. Because if you are, you don't have to tell me. I'll figure it out. So, so we've read about these gifts, but he did not explain what they are. He just said, here's what they are. I don't want you to be ignorant about these. And who gives them? It's the Holy Spirit. Let's go past this. Let's go back to chapter 12, and we're going to look at verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not the body, is it therefore not the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole hearing were hearing, where would the smelling be? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on those we bestow greater honor, and on our present, unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given each greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it, or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, and then the gifts of healing, helps, administrations, varieties of the tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers in miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Now, this is the completion of chapter 12. You get into chapter 13, get into the love chapter is what we know. it. I'm sorry, that has ruined our idea of what Paul is conveying here because we call it the love chapter. We're really good at screwing stuff up. We're not going to read chapter 13 today, but I want you to look at what he's getting a point. 
a point he's trying to get across. You put the entirety of chapter 12. We can look at the context here because we know it began at verse 1, the context. He's transitioning into something new. He's talking about spiritual gifts. He goes into the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. And here's the problem. Because we have limited it to nine, because we see that, we miss something here. Because did he not go into later how we've got apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helps, administrations? He's talking about these giftings that are there as well. So could you not add those to the list? Yeah, you could actually. There are others. So it is not the nine gifts of the Spirit. It is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're the ones that put these into these boxes. And when you start putting things into boxes, you'll miss on, out on things that are outside the box because you'll ignore them. It's kind of like the idea of pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. If you fall into like, well, this is my camp and this is what we believe and all of that kind of stuff, you'll miss out on the nuances that are out there. Because I don't know which part it's actually going to be. I have my opinions, but they're nothing more than that. Because he wasn't clear. When we start putting things in like, well, there are nine gifts of the Spirit. Well, no, apparently there are more because there are other things that are going on here as well. Now, with that, what did we notice? What is he conveying here about these? Your gifting isn't what matters. It is you individually making one body that matters. You use that gifting. As the body is one and has many members, so also is the body of Christ. Okay? It's a unit, is it not? Do you guys see that? Now, how does that convey? Look at the armor. It is a unit. It's composed individually, but each part matters. If you say, uh, you know, well, I'm just a toe or whatever, you ever hit your little toe walking through your house at night? You ever step on a Lego? Oh, yeah. I have two boys. I think they plant them. Like, I, I walked down the other day. My son's trike was at the bottom of the stairs. I get up early. It's dark early. It's not good. He still has the trike, but barely. So there are things going on here, but what are we seeing? We are, we're looking at this as a unit, as a group. We want to isolate these, and we want to start thinking, what is your spiritual gift? Where do you shine? There are natural abilities that God has given us where some people outshine. Some people are very administrative. They're really good with paperwork. They're good at keeping things organized. They're good at keeping a calendar all straightened out with everybody and all of that kind of stuff. You know who's not good at that? You're looking at him. Right? I hate paperwork. I was so glad to hear that we had somebody that handled the church checkbook when I moved here because I'm like, please, Lord, don't make me do this. I don't want to. I don't like it. So people have different giftings. Some people have a gift to sing. And you know what else? Some people don't. Let's stay in our lane. (laughs) It says make a joyful noise, just do it quietly is all I I ask. So we look at this and we're like, oh yeah, what's happening here with the Corinthian church is there's a schism over, well, look at me. Because what are we impressed by? Prophecy. What does he start with in, in chapter 14? prophecy we want to hear these things conveyed these things that be not as though they were this all of this stuff going on we chase prophecy but the truth is is that every part matters but what are we drawn to we're drawn to the shiny parts of the armor what's not shiny the belt that belt lock everything together you eliminate the belt all the other armor is useless it's the same here 
We're chasing this. We want to see this. We want to do this. We want to be this. That is not what he intended here. Now let's look at Romans chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 1. I want you to catch the context of what's going on here. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice that's holy, acceptable to God, and this is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What do we call that last part? We call it discernment. In order to discern what God's will is, you have to not be conformed to this world. You have to renew your mind. Whose responsibility is that? It is yours. It is mine. It's just like putting on the armor. If you are attacked in a moment of weakness and you weren't armored up, whose fault is that? It is yours. Now, we come together, but that's the bottom line. Don't blame the devil for your problems. Okay? You cause it. So we start with our bodies, a living sacrifice. That is holy, which means set apart. It's acceptable to God. Remember, if you brought a sacrifice unacceptable to God, what happened? Ask Cain. Didn't end well. And if you come on Wednesday nights, I'll explain exactly what's going on there, just so you know. But this is your reasonable service. Like, this isn't asking too much. Your body belongs to him, a living sacrifice. We're not going to kill you. We're going to let you live. Don't be conformed to this world. Transform yourself through the renewing of your mind. So we have to be able to discern this. Now look at verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now does this sound like something that was going on with the Corinthian church as well? You see, there's a schism forming. You'll see parts talking about, well, I was baptized by Apollos. I was baptized by this guy, whatever. He gets into all of that. He's saying it doesn't matter where you think you are. You are part of the body. Each part matters. He's doing the same thing here. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us. Let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. And he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, he talks about these gifts that are given by whom? The Holy Spirit. Shoot, we just added a whole bunch more. We're well past nine, y'all. So let's not limit that. Let's look at this because some people have different gifts, but what do we see? One body. That body does not function right without each gift, each individual. He's dealing with this now with the Romans. He was dealing it with the church in Corinth. Do you think maybe we'll still deal with it today? Absolutely. Because we are drawn to these spectacular things. And sometimes because of that, we miss out on the supernatural things. The things that God is doing. Because all we want to see is the spectacular. There are a reason that baseball teams will play what's called small ball. Because base hits win games. Swinging for the fences strikes you out more often than not. It's the same thing. When we come together as the body of Christ looking to reach people with the gospel, every day counts. Brick upon brick is laid. We're constantly having a, a process that we follow here to give God the glory. Here we've got all these individual members with different giftings and different abilities, and each one matters. So we use that gift. Do you see this? Just like the armor, one cohesive unit, so is the body of Christ. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. 
Start in verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling in which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, and just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all uh, and in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended. Uh, what does it mean? But that he also first descended in the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causing growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love now that was a mouthful now, what do we see here? He once again is talking about the individual units composed to make one. Then he talks about these five positions, if you will. Apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, truthfully, when you break this down into the Greek, there's only four. Because the fourth of pastors and teachers were not sect, uh, set apart, but they were pastors who can teach, is how it reads in the Greek, who are apt to teach. And these were given for one purpose. What were they? Equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now let's bring this full circle. Every individual matters. God has given gifts unto men for the edifying of the body. He has taken these five components here and given them to the body for the equipping of the saints who are the individual body parts that are made up that have giftings that are used for the work of the ministry who should be doing the ministering all of us but yet we are drawn to the spectacular if you get somebody who's a phenomenal speaker they could be talking about anything they want and people are drawn to them why because they have a gift they're able to speak it's like singing as we said before there are good singers and they're not good singers and frankly, somebody needs to be honest with the not good singers. Stay in your lane. There's a reason American Idol exists. Because the good singers are there. But for some reason, the bad singers were told they were good singers, and then they went on national TV. Anybody remember William Hung? Nobody? Am I, oh my goodness. YouTube it. When you get home, you can thank me next week. But what I'm saying here is like, we have to be equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. We individually, we are all gifted. We, it is the same spirit that gives it all, but we work for what? The body of Christ. He is the head. We are his body. Every part matters. Now, if that is true, if you are a functioning member of the body of Christ, think about this in a body. When one part is not working right, what happens? The rest has to compensate. The words you say, the actions you take all matter. If you are not representing being in Christ's image throughout the world every single day, 
wherever you are, whether you're at work, whether you're at home, if you're on the golf course, if you're watching a football game, in this political arena, if you can't help but scream at your TV, Lord, help us all. But we are to be representative of Christ's body. And so here we've got a purpose of this. It's the unifying of the body of Christ, which Christ is the head, that we are no longer tossed to and fro, carried by every wind of doctrine. Now, we hear doctrine, we think Bible. Do you realize that there are doctrines everywhere of every, every facet that the doctrine of atheism is evolution? Think about that. Has that crept into the church? Sure it has. Has bad ideas crept in the church? Absolutely. What changes that? This... What helps is the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers equipping the saints. If we are doing our jobs, you should be equipped to handle those things that are thrown at you and you won't be moved by them. But you have a responsibility to teach and edify yourself as well. See, it works cohesively as a unit. So takeaway number one is that everybody matters. Every part matters matters. There are some people who could never stand behind a pulpit and deliver a sermon. Okay, Isaac Falk is a perfect example of that. That man's got a heart the size of Texas, will do anything for anybody, but he freezes in front of a crowd. We've witnessed that firsthand in El Salvador. <laughs> but let me tell you something that was special about that. Remember, we're in El Salvador. No speaker the language except for Alma. She speaks it well. And the rest of us just smile and nod because we don't know what's happening. But there was a moment where we were ministering to people and we were praying for people. And Isaac was in the back. And I, I talked to him. I think Jim was preaching that night. And we are just praying for people. I said, I just want you to go wherever the Lord leads you. And you just go do whatever the God tells you to do, right? He doesn't speak Spanish. He doesn't know any of these people. He'd never been there before. Uh, that was our second trip that year. So we had been down there. So I knew some of the people and whatnot. And so I'm up front, and I'm praying for people. Jim and Alma are praying for people and whatnot. And I watch Isaac get out of his seat. He goes to the back, and he goes to one individual, and he prays for that man. Okay? He doesn't know who this guy is. He just starts praying for him. And, of course, he cannot pray in Spanish. He's just praying what the Lord put on his heart. What he did not know is that man's wife had just died. We all knew it. And how he is a single father raising his, his little girl by himself. She had just died. Was it a week before or something? It wasn't very long. He had no idea, but what was happening? He was being led by the Spirit of God. Did that matter? Absolutely. But where was all the action? Up front. Where were all the eyes at? Up front. Where was the ministering taking place? In the back. Every part matters. We're led by the Spirit. Now, here's the second question we have to ask. Okay, that's fine. Every part matters. But you have to be gifted. You have to, you have to know the Word. So you have to be able to convey the word. You, you should reach a certain level in your walk with the Lord and your knowledge of Scripture before you can do this, right? I mean, you don't want people to just kind of have a free-for-all and just like get born again and like, hey, just go out there and minister to people because then chaos can ensue. What if they say the wrong thing or pray for the wrong people or they lay hands on people improperly? And I don't mean like in a bad way. I just mean they just don't know what they're doing, Right? So obviously, we want to have some controls on that. We want to make sure that people are trained. So you have to go through some training time for a few years at minimum, right? Doesn't that make sense? we got a problem with that. Because that's the opposite of what Scripture says. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So we're in the same book that we were reading before. Where he says, now, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts, my brethren. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, 
could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. Now wait a minute. You're telling me that the gifts of the Holy Spirit were operating through a bunch of carnal Christians. That's exactly what was happening. What was their carnality? It was the division among them. Well, I was baptized by Apollos. Who cares? I don't care if you're baptized by a sock puppet. I mean, whatever. But look at that. There are issues going on in this church, the church of Corinth. And yet the gifts of the Spirit are in manifestation at such a level that Paul says, let me kind of explain to you maybe how we should have some control. We should do things decently and in order. What qualifications did they have? They were filled with the Spirit. That was it. I'm not talking about going off half-cocked and just running around and, and saying, oh, I think i got a word from the Lord for you. And like, don't speak unless the Lord speaks. What I'm talking about is we've got this idea in our minds that we cannot effectively minister unless that we get to a certain level. And I hear it all the time, especially from young people. They're like, you know, everybody knows more than I do because they've been doing this longer. I can't teach. I can't pray for the sick. They should be praying for me. That's the wrong attitude. Yes, you may not have the communication skills, but how do you get those? You communicate, right? It's kind of like when your kids can't talk, and then you teach them to talk, and then you regret that decision, but ultimately you're glad it happens. Like, the only way they get better at talking is by jabbering nonstop in your ear words you cannot comprehend. It's like when a child begins to walk. What happens is they begin to walk. They fall a lot. But ultimately, the more they do it, they get better. It's the same thing. But we constantly got this mindset. It's like, well, I just, I, I could never stand up here and teach. Yes, you could. I don't care if it's five minutes. The more you do it, the better you get at it. The boldness comes from the, the act of doing. You'll get a lot more confident going and praying for the sick the more you pray for the sick. Well, what if they don't get healed? Well, if you don't pray for them, they're not going to get healed. You got a 100% perfection rate there. Again, the results are not your problem. The actions we take are. Well, let's look at John chapter 14. Verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father, so now you can say, show us the Father. How can you say you show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. And I'll stop there. We talked about this earlier. For good works. Remember how we talked about that? What works do you think he's talking about? Here he's talking about very, very clearly the miracles that he is doing. There's no difference there. Look at verse 12. Most surely I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. 
a little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will also, uh, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So what's he trying to convey here to Philip? He said, Philip, if you don't know by now, by everything you've seen, there's probably not much hope for you. You should at least believe because of these works. But do you not know that my Father is in me? And those who love me will do greater works than I because I'm leaving. So there's an expectation that greater works are going to be done. Is it greater in volume or greater in spectacularness? Why not? Yes. Okay? I don't know. But then he says, I'm going to pray that the Father will send you another helper. Who is he talking about? The Holy Spirit coming upon them. And he is with you and he is in you. And these greater works. You guys see this starting to come full circle. There's an expectation that was being portrayed to Philip that these things that I'm doing, guess what? Get ready. What qualifications did Philip have at this point? None. He didn't know anything. He's learning. He's growing. But he was there and he was being taught. Now, let's look at Mark chapter 16. This is the last one, I promise. Then you can go to the fish fry. Mark chapter 16. Verse 9, now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they had heard that he was alive and he had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Now remember, he told them ahead of time this is what's going to happen. They didn't believe him. And then when the reports were getting to him, they didn't believe those. So they never did really accept it. Verse 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We like that one. We say it all the time. Who is supposed to go? It's to be everybody. There's nobody left out of this equation. Verse 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, and he who does not believe will be condemned. So how does one get saved? Belief in him, right? These signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt, the, hurt them, and they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So it gives a list of things that you can expect as what? People are filled with the Spirit, right? How do they do it? In His name. But I want you to, to think about this. He says, who will be doing these? He is not referencing the apostles. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He who believes will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. These signs will follow those who believe. Who's he referencing? These new converts. Those who believed in the message that the apostles took will do what? In his name, everything after that. He didn't say, I want you to take them through a two-year training period. I want you to have an activation class so you can activate the gifts and the spirit within them. He just says, those who believe, that's what they'll do. Because to them, the belief in his name, what we call born again, and the baptism in the spirit were not like two different things. It was all kind of tied up in one pretty bow. We're the ones that have changed that. What I'm telling you is that there is no qualification for that except one, belief in His name. That's it. Once you are born again, once you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the activities should be taking place. It is one body, one cohesive unit acting as His representative 
in his name. You guys see this? You see how simple this is? We complicate it. We're the ones that sit back and think, oh, I can't do this, or I, I shouldn't, I'm not, I can't, I can't speak, I can't go talk to that guy. What if he thinks I'm weird? There can be other weird people they meet that day too. See, we've got to get a hold of this. We've got to just stick with what Scripture says, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What work? The works of Jesus. What did he do? He is our example. So as we get into this, guys, more and more, we're going to break these down one by one. We're going to start to look at these, see what they are, what they aren't. But more importantly, how do we begin to use them in our lives? Because the truth is, is the Lord has been trying to get a hold of people to step out, and people have just stepped back, waiting for somebody else to move. 